Chapters thirty one and thirty two of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty one. An evening at the vicarage. The vicar of Thorston was a severe man, a trifle narrow in his views and imperious of temper. But he was also fond of good cheer and hospitality, virtues which cover a multitude of sins those who sat at his table were sure of a capital dinner and an excellent glass of wine for his cook and cellar were both undeniable report said that mr linton was afraid of his cook for that good lady had a hot temper and feared no man many were the battles between her and the vicar but being a perfect mistress of the culinary art she invariably came off victor she had her faults but she was a jewel of a cook and was valued accordingly on this special evening the vicar had assembled ten people including himself round his hospitable board mr and mrs hilliston were the principal guests and claude was also honoured with special attention an old couple named densham garrulous and pleasant had likewise been invited and they with their daughter and jenny Payton, completed the party to claude was assigned miss Payton, while to frank linton was given the densham damsel an arrangement which was anything but pleasing to that jealous young man or indeed to miss densham who thought the famous author a grumpy creature he was too preoccupied to please her taste claude thought he had never seen mrs hilliston to such disadvantage she appeared ill at ease and was haggard and pale of face looking every year of her age even the rich dress and splendid jewels she wore failed to conceal the ravages of time and in the neighbourhood of the fresh beauty of the two girls she seemed like an old woman she felt this herself for claude noted that she threw an envious glance at the blooming faces of her rivals and surveyed her wan looks in the nearest glass with a sigh to her the party was purgatory nor did the lawyer appear to enjoy himself he was moody and fretful though every now and then he forced himself to be merry but his laugh was hollow and the careworn expression of his face belied his untimely mirth sometimes he stole a furtive look at claude and seemed to brood over the young man's changed manner for do what he could larcher deeming his old friend an enemy could not behave with his former cordiality he was ill-suited for a diplomat the dinner passed off with moderate success frank was complimented on his book and the prosy couple had to be told the main points of the story this brief recital made at least three people uncomfortable for claude raised his eyes to encounter an angry glance from hilliston and a deprecating one from jenny they were relieved when the vicar who by no means approved of such attention being bestowed on a trashy novel even though his son was the author turned the conversation into another channel mr linton liked to lead the conversation at his own table i wish to speak to you particularly claude whispered mrs hilliston as he held the door open for the ladies to retire do not be long over your wine i will come as soon as i can he replied and returned to his seat wondering what she could have to say to him he was not long left in doubt for mr hilliston entered into conversation as soon as the glasses were filled and the cigars lighted this was the moment for which he had longed for the whole evening why isn't your friend tate here to-night he asked in a casual tone feigning a lightness he did not feel did not mr linton tell you replied claude prepared for this query he had to go to town on business on business murmured hilliston uneasily anything to do with this case you have taken up i can't say tate did not particularly state his errand 
the lawyer sipped his wine looked thoughtfully at the end of the cigar and pondered for a few minutes he wished to speak of claude's changed behaviour toward himself yet did not know how to begin at length he bluntly blurted out a question straightforward and to the point this was undiplomatic but at times human nature is too strong for training we are not such good friends as of yore claude how is that i think you can guess the reason replied larcher not ill-pleased to fight out the point for he hated being forced into doubtful civility it is this case which has come between us i do not think you are giving me what help you ought to mr hilliston i can give you no help said the lawyer drawing his heavy brows together you know as much as i do no doubt your meddlesome friend knows more it is not improbable but you can prove your honesty in the matter by doing me a favour my honesty sir has never been called into question yet said hilliston injudiciously losing his temper always a prelude to defeat and i have no call to defend myself to one to whom i have been a father still i am willing to grant you what you wish in reason very good then introduce me to mr Paynton. i'm afraid that is out of my power replied hilliston shaking his head you know the man's ways i think he is a hermit a misanthrope and he does not care for company why do you wish to know him for various reasons answered larcher colouring with some embarrassment he was by no means willing to take mr hilliston into his confidence his old guardian looked at him shrewdly and remembering certain small circumstances connected with jenny guessed with the skill of an experienced character reader how the land lay at once he formed a resolution to further claude's interest in the matter hoping and not unjustly that should the lad be taken in the toils of love he might stop further investigation of the case an end which hilliston much desired to gain oh said he not unkindly sits the wind in that quarter well i will aid you in a few days i will try and induce mr Paynton to see you and then perhaps you may succeed succeed in what demanded claude sharply hardly relishing this perspicuity why in this love-suit of yours ay ay claude i can see what you aim at old as i am well she is a pretty girl clever and worthy i know of no woman who would make you a better wife you have my best wishes for your success and you will introduce me to her father i'll try to but i won't promise confidently Paynton is a strange creature and may refuse to see you by the way added hilliston as though struck with a sudden thought what was my wife saying to you at the door she was requesting me to speak to her in the drawing-room there is nothing wrong i hope she does not look well oh nothing wrong nothing wrong replied hilliston easily rising to his feet as the vicar moved toward the door she is fond of you my dear boy and is anxious about the case anxious about the case thought larcher as he followed his host into the drawing-room that is strange she can have no interest in it hm i'll try the effect of taste destination on her he said i would be astonished at the result i am beginning to be so already perhaps jenny had overheard the whisper in the dining-room and was sufficiently taken with larcher to be jealous of his attentions to mrs hilliston old though she deemed her for before he could cross over to where the lawyer's wife was seated jenny beckoned to him with her imperious finger 
he could do nothing but obey despite the frown which darkened mrs hilliston's face as she saw and with womanly instinct guessed the manoeuvre come and sit down here whispered jenny under cover of the music for miss densham was at the piano i have not seen you for several days that is not my fault said claude delighted at the interest thus displayed you stay so much indoors i have been looking for you everywhere have you indeed mr larcher said jenny with feigned surprise and why may i ask oh for no particular purpose unless indeed it was to ask you for further information concerning the novel hush not a word of that i can't speak of it to you i know who you are mr larcher but i am ignorant of the tragedy save what i told to frank and later on to mr tate but you can guess i can guess nothing interrupted the girl imperiously if you and i are to remain friends you must cease talking on that subject i'll do anything to remain friends with you miss Painton," was the significant reply then talk of anything save that terrible case oh how i wish i had left it alone i'm glad you did not said claude bluntly if it had not been for that book before he could finish the sentence jenny shot an indignant look at him and deliberately rising from her seat crossed the room to where frank linton was frowning and tugging at his moustache claude was vexed at his folly in thus drawing down her anger on him but accepted his beating like a man and passed over to where mrs hilliston waited with an expectant face she remarked on his tardy coming with some bitterness i see you prefer a younger face to mine she said drawing herself up time was when i had no rival to fear dear mrs hilliston i could not disobey a lady besides 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 you are in love with her oh i can see that well she is a pretty girl so you intend to marry her it is early yet to talk of marriage i don't even know if she likes me mrs hilliston laughed and looked at him smilingly then you must be very ignorant of the way of woman my dear she said meaningly a word in your ear claude that girl loves you in two weeks impossible i've known love to grow in two days replied mrs hilliston dryly oh yes she loves you and you love her so you can marry as soon as you choose first i must get mr Paynton's consent i should not think that would be difficult said the lady looking at his eager face you are young not ill-looking not badly off and so i should not think mr Paynton would desire anything better for his daughter so much for the first obstacle and the second i must solve the mystery of my father's death mrs hilliston's manner changed on the instant and from being gay she became severe and anxious-looking indeed claude thought that she paled under her rouge but this might have been fancy it is about that i wish to speak to you she said hurriedly i want you to stop investigating this case you will learn nothing it would be of no use to any one if you did solve the mystery stop troubling yourself with slander claude why he asked astonished at her tone because your conduct vexes my husband he has been a father to you in the place of the one you lost so you ought to consider him a little pray leave that mystery unsolved if i would tate would not he is now even more eager than i to find out the truth horrid little man said the lady viciously where is he now 
the time had now come to try the effect of tate's destination and fixing his eyes on mrs hilliston as she slowly fanned herself claude uttered the fatal words he is at horriston the fan stopped mrs hilliston paled but preserving her self-control with a strong effort replied quietly at horriston and why to find out a person not mentioned in the case man or woman asked mrs hilliston in a low voice woman she said no more but turned away her head to reply to her husband who came up opportunely he also had heard the last few words of the conversation and ignoring the presence of claude husband and wife looked at one another with pale faces the shot had struck home and larcher saw that it had thirty two the discoveries of spencer tate horriston might fitly be compared to jonah's gourd it sprang up in a night so to speak and withered in the space of a day in the earlier part of the victorian era a celebrated doctor recommended its mineral springs and invalids flocked to be cured at this new pool of bethesda whether the cures were not genuine or insufficiently rapid to please the sick folk it is hard to say but after fifteen or twenty years of prosperity the crowd of fashionable valetudinarians ceased to occupy the commodious lodging-houses and hotels in horriston other places sprang up with greater attractions and more certain cures so the erstwhile fashionable town relapsed into its provincial dullness no one lived there but a few retired army men and no one came save a stray neurotic person in search of absolute quiet few failed to get that at horriston which was now as sleepy a place as could be found in all england even thorston was much more in touch with the nineteenth century than this deserted town as tate drove through the streets on his way to the principal hotel he could not help noticing the dreary look of the chief thoroughfare many of the shops were closed some were unoccupied and those still open displayed wares grimy and fly-blown the shopkeepers came to their doors in a dazed fashion to look at the new visitor in the single fly which plied between station and hotel thereby showing that the event was one of rare occurrence there were no vehicles in the street itself save a lumbering cart containing market produce and the doctor's trap which stood at the doctor's door a few people sauntered along the pavement in a listless fashion and the whole aspect of the place was one of decay and desertion but for the presence of shopkeepers and pedestrians few though they were tate could almost have imagined himself in some deserted mining township on the californian coast the principal hotel faced one side of a melancholy square and was called the royal victoria out of compliment to the reigning monarch it was a large barrack with staring windows and a flight of white steps leading up to a deserted hall no busy waiters no genial landlord or buxom barmaid not even the sound of cheerful voices cats slept on the steps and fowls clucked in the square while a melancholy waiter peering out of the window put the finishing touch to the lamentable dreariness of the scene the sign royal victoria should have been removed out of very shame and the word ichabod written up in its place the landlord was lacking in humour to let things remain as they were however tate being hungry and dusty and tired consoled himself with the reflection that it was at all events a hotel and speedily found himself the sole occupant of the dining-room attended to by the melancholy waiter the viands provided were by no means bad and the wine was undeniably good and small wonder seeing it had been in the cellars for a quarter of a century for want of someone to drink it this fact was confided to tate by his sad ganymede 
we used to see a sight of company here said this elderly person when he appeared with the claret but bless you it's like babylon the fallen now sir you're the first gentleman as i have seen here for a week shouldn't think it would pay to keep the hotel open it don't sir replied the waiter with conviction but master is well off made his money in the days when horriston was horriston and keeps this place as a sort of hobby we have a club here in the evening sir and that makes things a bit lively have you been here long asked tate noticing how grey and wrinkled was his despondent servitor over thirty years sir responded ganymede with a sigh as though the memory was too much for him man and boy i've been here thirty years i'm glad of that you're the man i want got a good memory pretty good sir not that there's much to remember and he sighed again hm have you any recollection of a murder which took place at the laurels twenty-five years ago that i have sir said the waiter with faint animation it was the talk of the country captain larcher wasn't it sir and his wife a sweetly pretty woman she was accused of the murder i think but she didn't do it no nor mr jerringham either though some people think he did cause he cleared out and small blame to him when they were after him like roaring lions do you remember jerringham i should think so sir why he stopped in this very hotel he did as kind and affable a gentleman as i ever met sir he kill captain larcher not he no more than did the wife poor thing now i have my own opinion said this wise person significantly but i didn't take to it for five years after the murder as you might say twenty years ago sir who do you think committed the crime then asked tate rather impressed by the man's manner the waiter looked around with the enjoyable air of a man about to impart a piece of startling information and bent across the table to communicate it to tate dennis bantry was the man sir he said solemnly captain larcher's valet nonsense what makes you think that i don't think it sir i know it if you don't believe me go to the laurels and ask the old gardener dick pentel he saw it finished the waiter in a tragic whisper saw what the murder said tate with a startled look yes sir he saw the murder i heard it all from him i did i forget the exact story he told me but dennis bantry should have been hanged sir oh there isn't the least doubt about it sir but if this dick pentel saw the crime committed why didn't he come forward and tell about it well sir it was this way said ganymede dusting the table with his napkin dick ain't all there not to be too delicate sir dick's mad he was always a softy from a boy not that he's old now sir forty-five i believe and he was twenty years of age when he was in captain larcher's service and is he at the laurels still why yes sir you see after the murder no one could take the house they thought it haunted maybe so dick was put in as caretaker he looked after it for twenty years and then it was taken by a gentleman who didn't care for murder or ghosts he's there now sir and so is dick who still looks after the garden 
but why didn't dick relate what he saw because of his softness sir said the waiter deliberately you see dick had been put into a lunatic asylum he had just before he came of age captain larcher a kind gentleman sir took him out and made him gardener at the laurels so when dick saw the murder done he was afraid to speak in case he should be locked up again no head you see sir so he held his tongue he did and only told me five years after the murder then it was too late for all those who were at the laurels on that night had disappeared you don't happen to know where dennis bantry is sir do you for he ought to hang sir indeed he ought tate did not think it wise to take this bloodthirsty waiter into his confidence but rewarded him with half a sovereign for his information and retired to bed to think the matter over he was startled by this new discovery which seemed to indicate dennis bantry alias carey as the assassin and wondered if he had been wrong all through in suspecting hilliston yet if carey had committed the crime tate saw no reason why hilliston should protect him as he was evidently doing assuming that the waiter had spoken correctly the only ground on which tate could explain hilliston's conduct was that mrs larcher was implicated with the old servant in the murder if carey were arrested he might confess sufficient to entangle mrs larcher and as hilliston loved the woman a fact of which tate was certain he would not like to run so great a risk to her liberty but this reasoning was upset by the remembrance that mrs larcher had already been tried and acquitted of the crime and as according to law she could not be tried twice on the same charge she was safe in any case tate was bewildered by his own thoughts the kaleidoscope had shifted again the combinations were different but the component parts were the same and argue as he might there seemed no solution of the mystery mrs larcher dennis bantry his sister hilliston and mark jerringham who had killed the unfortunate husband tate could find no answer to this perplexing question in the morning he walked to the laurels which he had no difficulty in finding owing to the explicit directions of his friend the waiter it was a pretty low-roofed house on a slight rise near the river and built somewhat after the fashion of a bungalow the garden sloped to the river-bank on one side and on the other were sheltered from inland winds by a belt of sycamore trees in front a light iron railing divided them from the road which ran past the house on its way to the ferry the gardens were some three acres in extent very pretty and picturesque showing at every turn that whatever might be the mental state of dick pentel he was thorough master of his business tate came into contact with him in a short space of time through the medium of the housekeeper this individual was a sour old maid who informed him with some acerbity that mr deemer the present occupant of the laurels was away from home and without his permission she could not show him the house perhaps she suspected tate's errand for she looked suspiciously at him and resolutely refused to let him cross the threshold however as a concession she said he could inspect the grounds which were well worth seeing and called dick pendle to show him round as tate had really no great desire to see the interior of the house where he would learn nothing likely to be of service and a great desire to speak alone with the mad gardener he thankfully accepted the offer and was then thrown into the company of the very man whom he most desired to see dick pentel was a slender bright-eyed man with a dreamy-looking face alert in his movements and restless with his hands and feet he did not seem unintelligent 
but the germs of madness were plainly discernible and tate guessed that only his constant life in the open air kept him from returning to the asylum whence he had been taken by captain larcher with justifiable pride this queer creature showed tate over the grounds but never by word or deed did he hint at the story which he had told the waiter still hopeful tate led the conversation on that direction and finally succeeded in touching the spring in the man's brain which made him relate the whole matter the opportunity occurred when the two men were standing on a slight rise overlooking the river here tate made a slight remark concerning the view what a peaceful scene he said waving his stick toward the prospect cornlands farmhouses the square towered church and the ferry crossing the placid river i can imagine nothing more homely or so charged with pleasant memories here all is peace and quiet no trouble no danger no crimes dick thoughtfully rubbed the half-crown given him by tate and looked dreamily at river and sky and opposite shore to his abnormally active brain the scene looked different to what it did to this stranger and he could not forbear alluding to the fact moreover the gentleman had given him money and dick was greedy so in the expectation of extracting another coin he hinted that he could tell a startling story about this very place ain't you fond of murder sir he asked abruptly turning his bright eyes on tate no i don't think i am replied the other delighted to think he had succeeded in rousing the man's dormant intelligence why do you ask murder is an ugly word and can have nothing to do with so peaceful a scene as this that's all you know sir said dick eagerly why i could tell you of a murder as i seed myself in this very spot where we are now or only a few yards from it sir tate glanced at his watch with an affectation of hurry and shook his head i am afraid i can't wait he said artfully i must return to horriston in a few minutes it won't take longer nor that to tell why i've told it in ten minutes i have it's freezer to the blood a murder at night too added dick in an agony lest tate should go away with a lantern and a corpse just like you read in novels hum observed tate sceptically not yet being sure of the man is it true true as gospel sir i wouldn't tell a lie i wouldn't i've been brought up methody you know sir and scorn a falsehood as a snare of the old un you make it worth dicky's while sir and he'll give you goose flesh oh that he will very good said tate throwing himself on the sward i don't mind hearing the legend of this place if it is as good as you say i'll give you half a sovereign in gold asked dick with a grasping eagerness in bright gold see here is the half sovereign you tell the story and it is yours now then what is it all about dick pendle sat down beside tate but at some distance away and chuckled as he rubbed his hands he had a chance of making twelve and sixpence that morning and was overjoyed at his good fortune resolved to begin with a startling remark he glanced down to see that they were alone and then brought it out i could hang a man i could he said cheerfully i could hang him till he was a deader End of chapters thirty one and thirty two